Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Cartridge Cinema Club. My name is Mark Champlin, and a few weeks back, we hit a pretty crazy milestone, um, one that I never expected this podcast to hit uh, when we started out. Uh, We're at 100 episodes, and uh, this is just going to be some favorite moments that Alex and I uh, compiled along with some fan favorites uh, into uh, kind of a greatest hits so far type of thing. You know, uh, this podcast began in October of 2018, and listening back through all these old episodes, I'm, I'm really struck by not only how much has changed in the world, I, I think Alex and I would both agree that um, we sound a little more carefree up until around early to mid-2020 uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but not only that, but just how much I have changed uh, through the process of uh, recording this podcast and becoming more immersed in queerness and queer history. And, you, you know, it's, it's funny that such a silly little podcast prompted me to do uh, so much self-reflection. My, my slow but steady transformation from himbo to thembo uh, last year and a half about has been a largely thanks to the welcoming nature of the little queer and alternative community that has been built around this podcast. So uh, just, you know, as much as you all have gotten from this podcast, I feel that I've gotten all the love that I've put out back tenfold. So just a big shout out to the fans and, and friends that I've made. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, not only have I always struggled with ADHD and depression, um, late 2019 and early 2020 saw me going through some immense personal tragedy and prompted some equally immense personal growth uh, that's still happening. Uh, well, that's the secret is that it's always happening. But um, yeah, having this podcast and, and Alex's friendship through the hardest moments of the past year and a half or so um, and Alex's partnership and just the heaping amount of work she puts in has just absolutely been my anchor and uh, my inspiration. I'm just so glad we started this thing when we did, because when all the shit started going down for me, uh, we we had so much momentum and so many people counting on us to help them get through their shitty commute or their chores or just provide them 30 minutes to look forward to every week. Um, so as badly as I wanted to just sink into a hole and disappear and fuck off forever, uh, I, I knew I couldn't because at my worst moments, I have always had my favorite podcasts and content creators to just provide the escapism I've needed. And I remember thinking about how bummed I would be if, if they had suddenly disappeared. So once again, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone for listening and God forcing us to watch both Angry Birds movies because <laughs> this thing has been so much fucking fun. I just really want to stress that this is the it's the highlight of every week and putting it out as another highlight of every week is just it's fun and we're not stopping till one of us dies or Paul W.S. Anderson loses the Capcom license, thus ending movies forever. Um, yeah, enjoy. So before we get into that, Alex, uh, let's uh, discuss briefly the goals of this podcast and the way uh, which we plan to critique the movies. Right. I think uh, I think you had a nice kind of like three-step plan. I have it written here in case you don't remember the parts, but uh, 
let's let's just detail that a little bit for the people. Yeah. So one of the one of the main things that we wanted to do with this with this thing, uh, in which we are, if the, if this wasn't already clear, we're going to be watching movies based on video games, which are universally uh, not well regarded. I would say uh, historically, a, his... they're considered, you know, a a lost. A lost genre, uh, a lost, lo- lost because it's all bad. A low quality of of product. Um, but the one of the things that we want to kind of do with this show is one of my one of my number one rules is we're not we're not here to excessively dunk on the films. We're not here yeah. to we're not here to do the nostalgia critic cinema sins style thing where you sit down and you're just like at. One minute and forty-eight seconds. He added this on his hand, but then over here, the, he was had a different tattoo. And I'm like, I'm not. We're not here to break down every individual uh, plot hole in the film. Although with this particular film, I could sit here for three hours and go over how this movie is a mess <laughs> of what, a project. I mean, like, what even like happened? And also, <laughs> like, the that, every t- every time there was. Uh, uh, any special effects and also i love the special effects in this film. okay so, so... Let, let's finish let's finish the, the principles yeah. before we get to the film um what i don't remember what the hell else i wrote down it was basically you know number one was we're not going to excessively dunk we're going to dunk movies. on the film to be clear there's going to be a lot of dunking on the film but it's not like we're, we're trying not to be uh you know plot holes nasty. and plot holes and nitpicks are going to be yeah. kept to a minimum sure, we're going to yeah, talk yeah. like Broad strokes. Not just, yeah, broad strokes, uh, our general, like, feelings about. So I'm big on, like, moments. Yeah. And I think moments are distinct from nitpicks. And this was a a film of moments. (laughs) It is is rife with moments. Um, It's more uh, moments than I thought there would be. Okay, yeah. The second second rule was uh, we want to kind of try to talk about these films in sort of the the social context, the the political context. I would say that uh, broadly, Mark and I would probably both describe ourselves as SJWs, uh, we, which means yes. that we care about being nice to people. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the yeah the the snarky the snarky answer is we're yes we're SJWs. We're inclusive. Uh, we generally you know try to be you know, nice and not, like, be, like, dipshits about, like, yeah. social issues. So, um, so I and... would say, like, it, on this show, we want to talk about, you know, we might talk about the gender politics of a film, or we might talk about the way that it handles class or race or whatever it uh, may be. We, that... we might talk about the fact that, you know, in 2009, uh, a cop, a man cop could just sexually assault a lady cop, oh, and it was, like... There... Pretty Look, much okay. A, there's a lot to get to in the way that this, in the way that Street Fighter colon The Legend of Chun Li uh, <laughs> tackles its female characters. Uh, yeah, but, she she sure walked out of the shower with wet hair and a bra. Anyway, we'll, we'll get through it. Um, and then the number three rule is is to have a nice time with your friends. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna get right to that. Uh, I think there was one other thing that you wanted to cover before we before we get into this film. Uh, yeah, just as like an inaugural episode kind of goof. Uh, let's, uh, well, what qualifies us uh, individually to critique sure. video game who the, movies? Who the fuck are these assholes? If you somehow stumbled upon this podcast not through my Twitter. Uh... Hey, I have 114 followers and any one of them could have been 
the one who, sure. who the, the ones who just because you have math amount more than me <laughs> d- doesn't mean that you're pulling in the audience here. No, I definitely I definitely am not. Um, so, yeah. So I, for me, hi, my name is Alex. Uh, I work in the esports industry. Uh, I have a film degree. So that's two. I got video games and movies right there, which basically means I'm a professional that you can trust. Um, I also make documentaries about video games. So I'm basically like, Mark is basically like the, 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 the random schlubbo off the street. Uh, he's your, he's your everyman. I'm sort of the, I'm sort of the experienced, uh, industry veteran. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Mark. That's, I mean, what else is there to say? You already, you already covered schlubbo. You covered random. You really, you, you ate my, you ate my lunch there. I mean, I'll. All I was going to add is uh, I have at one time uh, beaten a Kirby main in tournaments in Super Smash Brothers Melee, so that was a pretty big moment for me. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes you more than qualified to talk about Street Fighter, colon, The Legend of Chun-Li. They, they have the MacGuffin. It's a, yeah, it's a little rock and there's a scene where they lose it and it keeps jumping around from person to person. For the whole movie, really. just through the whole movie but like the first scene when it gets lost and it ends up in the hands of this woman who we later learn is named big bertha okay so we need and to talk about the big bertha thing she's, she's a large black woman like a very aretha franklin evocative type there's so and much she, to talk about with this character she's clad in a red jumpsuit with red spikes and like prominent cleavage and she grabs the rock and then like flies away on jetpack boots yeah so and so this is this is our first scene in the dinosaur world yeah so 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 big bertha is the fish it's the big fish in mario wait seriously that's a mario thing yeah so no fucking way so so you know how in the water levels there's like oh my god there's like the big cheat cheat that like eats you Holy shit. That's Big Bertha. So in this movie, this. in this movie they saw that and they were like, "Well, that's not going to work for our cool cyberpunk movie." But you know what would be really cool <laughs> is if she was like a powerful black woman. I'm going to fucking lose it. <laughs> I'm going to fucking lose it. <laughs> I was I I was so willing to accept that they had just <laughs> named a character Big Bertha. <laughs> I, I, there's no fucking way that's a Mario thing. I just, Toad is a a gay folk singer who gets turned into a Goomba, but he's still wearing his harmonica. At the end of the movie, he is a hero because he beat all the bad guys, and he gets to fuck Serena Williams and Martha Stewart. Like, mm-hmm. that's his reward. And then Adam Sandler, who has been treating this, you know, military general lady who is in the film uh, like garbage the entire time and just saying horrible misogynistic things to her, again, is rewarded. And she is now charmed by him and now will kiss him. And then Josh Gad fucks Hubert. Okay, we need to talk about... Oh, my so the God. Aliens, so the aliens are shapeshifters, right? <sighs> so what if there was an alien who... Um was 
rewarded to the Earthlings because uh, these aliens believe in uh, taking a trophy when you win a battle. Yeah. So they're they're systematically kidnapping like a human each time they win. But they're like, you won this battle. Here's fucking Cubert. And here's this Duck thing Hunt just... Dog, and then here's Cubert. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I want to this... set this up really quick. This thing with Josh Gad and this and the the yes. Lady Lisa thing. So. Mm-hmm. So Josh Gad's character is, like, obsessed with this arcade uh, game character called Lady Lisa, who is just, like, a generic, like, hot blonde lady in a red dress with two swords. And he is, like, has a cult-like obsession with her and wants to fuck her and all of this stuff. So then there's a scene where, you know, near the end where all the pixel monsters are attacking the city. But great great visuals by the way just uh, there's a shot where like the big galaga ship is like over washington dc and it's like striking it's really well done so yeah i was like fuck this is cool yeah and it's the, like the the tetris blocks yeah the tetris blocks uh, li- falling and lining line themselves it up. up on a building and then when the tetris uh, row uh, disappears that part of the building it's also cool disappears. man it's part of why so this movie cool. is so fucking disappointing is that like the action scenes are actually pretty fucking cool um yep. and so you know eventually josh gad meets lady lisa she is you know played by a model her character doesn't speak at all um oh no and he like you know tells her that he's been obsessed with her and he's you know thinks about her constantly and this is all he's ever done this woman that doesn't speak and just has large tits and just stands there um and then you know she starts kissing him because sure why not well because he he um he puts down his gun and he explains to her that the power of love is so powerful that he's just glad he he met her and that makes this this alien who presumably has no concept of human love and relationships was so moved by that, that this alien who is taking the form of a human female goes up and kisses this person because yeah. the power of love. So, so they fight alongside each other and then the aliens get defeated. So all of the, all of the pixel monsters go away, which means she goes away. Right. So then mm-hmm. in the last, and near the end of the movie, you know, everybody else got a trophy woman to be rewarded for their heroics. And Josh Gad is like, man, I wish I could have a woman who doesn't speak and doesn't question anything I do and just stands there and be a prop for me. And when he says essentially this, he's like, man, I wish I got the girl also. The other like girl in the movie is like, yeah, that's sad. I'm so sorry that you didn't get a me. <laughs> yeah. And then Qbert, who has been like a oh yeah Qbert is in the movie like throughout he's one of the trophies that comes down and he talks and it's weird and I don't like it um he's like a pet he talks but he's definitely like he has the role of like a pet to yeah, the other to, characters to the characters um and then Qbert turns into the sexy lady and then Josh Gad fucks Qbert and that's how that's how the movie ends <laughs> yeah and we they they don't like they don't show Cubert penetration, but, uh, yeah, okay. They, they don't, they don't show that. They have kids. They have, but baby they Kubert. have kids. They, they have baby. They Kubert. have kids after the credits. Movie. There's it's... a post credits part where he has children, presumably because Josh Gad fucked Cubert. And that's, that's. <sighs> Josh we... Gad fucked Cubert in this movie. What are we watching next week, Mark? <laughs> It is it is very hard to describe the the look of it. Uh we get the glorious return. Let, 
the the triumphant return of mid two thousand CG goo. Not just not just a scene of mid two thousand CG goo. Mid two thousand CG goo throughout the film. If you if you're looking for a movie that could really deliver on that nasty ass fucking filthy <laughs> fucking dirty beats mid two thousand CG goo, Spy Kids three D colon game over is here to to provide that for you. Look, goo goo flows through this movie's veins. Goo is the lifeblood of this movie. There's, I can think of three different colors slash materials that the goo acts as if it is. There's a part where Junie is having a a, a light faux lightsaber fight with someone, and he conjures ice out of mid two thousands goo, and the goo solidifies into ice. There's a part where they're surfing on lava. And you and get tons of goo in that. It's really, the lava it is, is a, just it orange is a, goo. It is a mid-2000 CG goo du jour. Uh, I, <laughs> I loved it. You know, so I do want to kind of talk about, uh, like, first, you know, how it, it felt returning to this film in retrospect. We don't need to fucking set up this film. Every single person who is listening to this podcast has watched this movie. Um, mm-hmm. We don't need to explain what it's about. We don't need to explain what fucking Pokemon is. I'm not going to do the bit where I'm like, Pokemon is a, for those of you who don't know, is a series of, <laughs> y- y'all fucking know what Pokemon is. Y'all have seen the goddamn anime. You know what we're talking about. We're talking about Pokemon, the first movie. Pokemon is a third-person character action game <laughs> set, set in Vietnam in the Cold War. Um, I think I cried like five different times. Um, oh boy! While watching this movie, the first the first time I cried was when was it just nostalgia tears? Yeah, or... I, I mean it yeah. was it was both. It was a little bit of both because there's mm-hmm. there was there's that intro. I mean, this movie has, like, four different intros, but one of the intros is, like, the opening credits where it's, like, Ash and this other random trainer having a having a pokemon battle and it has this like kind of like groovy upbeat version of the of the main theme from the anime and it's just like this really nicely rendered 2d animation of the pokemon fight and i just started tearing up and i didn't know (laughs) i i i was just It, it was pretty special yeah seeing seeing like an episode of Pokemon again, seeing that animation again and hearing those voices again, like, like my, my God, I was, I was six years old when I saw this movie in the theaters. Like you, it does not get more like ingrained. It doesn't in get more, your brain, f- more formative. Like it, it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't just like, Oh, I remember this scene. Oh, I remember that line. It was like, no, every single line of the film, like, echoed in my brain like oh i remember exactly the cadence of that line i remember like the characters exclamations that they make like the sounds that they make every single moment of every single scene what was so familiar it like wow it was like i've seen this film so many fucking times and it has been a really long time i think the last time i watched it was probably in like maybe maybe freshman year of college like five Mm -hmm. five years ago maybe um this was only my second time watching this movie at all like i watched it when i was six and i watched it now that's yeah like not 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 to not to derail you but i didn't know that your experience was so different uh, than mine yeah that i i obviously watched and played a lot of pokemon but uh i i watched pokemon 2000 a lot more. sure and i've seen that one a ton as well but yeah it was it was bizarre it was I, you know, like I said, I cried more than once. I cried at that intro sequence. 
you know, I, I, I cried when the Pokemon were fighting each other. I cried when Pikachu was, was, was slapping the other Pikachu and crying. I cried when <laughs> Ash turned to stone and was trying to bring him back by electrocutative. I cried when Pikachu was getting chased by the, the bad guy Pokeballs. Like I, I had like a vis- like a visceral emotional reaction to watching this movie and again in a way that I like was not expecting. Like I, I kind of expected yeah. to go into it and be like, oh, it'll be fun. Watch Pokemon the first movie again. It'll be nice. <laughs> I'll have some nice nostalgic feelings. And I'm you weren't s- ready for that for this to happen. No, <laughs> and I'm like sitting there and I'm watching it and I'm like just thinking about like how long it's been since I've watched this film and like how much of my life has has changed and how much I've like developed and changed as a person in the time yeah. since I've like since the first time that I saw this and since the time that this film was like something that I watched on like a, you know a weekly basis as a child and like it was the whole time I I'm, I'm so aware of what a cheesy movie it is and how like because of how <laughs> you know like ramshackle the sort of like localization process for this movie was like the plot is so bad barely coherent and like the the resolution of the film is just total nonsense uh but like i i was like deeply affected by it in a way that i was not prepared for i'm yeah i i find that the 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 meta commentary not even a meta commentary the um just the way that you experience this film, the message that you leave with is not the message of the movie, but it's kind of the message of like, I don't know. I've been feeling weird lately in that I'm like 25. So I'm like almost dead. Uh, (laughs) And just a lot of feelings of the fact that I'm like really, really, I don't know. This was like the cutoff of like, I I am not like, I'm not like a kid anymore. I don't know why 25 was the year, but it feels like a real age. I felt that way when I turned, 23 i i was like exactly but it's weird because like i remember like you your brain doesn't separate like childhood memories and like adult memories like i remember sitting in the theater and watching this movie and uh like i i am the same like flesh human person that i was (laughs) when i saw this and that is so bizarre to me so that like made me like emotional in a weird way i'm I'm still such a child you know i i when i when i when the camera moves over and I'm like, holy shit, there's Sand Slash. I love Sand Slash. And like, I could name, I could name every single yeah, Pokemon. Of course, and, uh, so I, I watched it's this. Not even a challenge. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, I've, I've seen the social media is on fire with people outraged over the fact that we're doing a non-film on the podcast. And I just want to address this real quick. Uh, you're right. The podcast, the integrity has been ruined. We, are completely unprofessional and this is the beginning of the downfall of the program. So I just wanted to get that out of the way and acknowledge, yes, this, this was a mistake. We never should have done this. Yeah. And we are now, this was, this is, this is really like when they added cloud to smash brothers. (laughs) Yes. Ding, ding, ding. I said smash brothers, but really it's like, fucking it's the wild west now anything goes there's no integrity okay so anymore. my there's no my my proposal for this is the anything that is either an adaptation of a video game to a visual audio format such as film or television is eligible for the mm-hmm. podcast as well as any uh, audiovisual experience that is surrounds video games or is focused on video games is fair game. 
so 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 speaking of lovingly sculpting Donkey Kong's ass, we we really need to get back to the thesis of the episode here, and that is that is the horniness, girls and gays. That is the that is the latent powerful and disturbing sexual energy of Donkey Kong Country. I'm going to list out a list of words that are used to describe Donkey Kong in the first episode of Donkey Kong Country. <laughs> Number one, hunk. Number two, sexy. Number three, <laughs> love slave. Now, not the first episode of Donkey Kong Country that we watched. This is a uh, season one, episode one, Bad Hair Day. Uh, yeah. it's, 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 uh, you know, it's the biblical plot of Samson as applied to Donkey Kong. Uh, you know, Donkey Kong has a curse put on him so that if his hair gets cut, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be less powerful. Uh, King K. Rule doing this, obviously. He's the baddie as, as in the video game. Uh, and, and, but then also there is a robot version of Donkey Kong's girlfriend, Candy Kong, created, uh, and she goes and has to cut his hair. And so that's the setup to the episode. And the robot says a the you just you mm, you just watch this thing and it is just it, you just know that the that there were people involved with making this who were horny for Donkey Kong it's it's just the only explanation for it because there is such a focus on ass in this show there are so many close-ups on asses and donkey kong's ass every single character's ass is lovingly and bulbously rendered yeah it's it's literally like like every every character has a spherical monkey ass and it will and not even just the monkeys like like the the crocs, <laughs> the crocs have asses too yeah <laughs> like they straight up they just have they have butts there's butts in this show every every scene <laughs> feels like the awkward scene in a porn before the porn part happens, but the porn never comes. And so the whole thing just has this, like, weird, latent, just, like, underbelly of, like, dark sexual energy. It's very difficult to describe, but it, it just, you just feel as if, like the people that are making it have to be masturbating while it's being made because they just it it man did, did they just i mean it's either that or they thought i have to work on this weird kid show let's make it a little bit fucked up because it's fun to make fucked up kid shows yeah, like I, you you kind of it's like all the but it's not the same as like the hidden like kind of sexual um undertones in like little mermaid and stuff like that it's not the same it's it's not so it's not so subtle no or it, it's not the animaniacs right there it's it's not a wink and a nod right it's no. just like no this is just kind of just up front it's just horny like Candy says, you're gonna be my sexy Kong when he when she cuts his hair. Yeah, that's not that's not subtle. Not, the word sexy not is not used in the word sexy is not used in any Disney cartoons. Yeah, that's like a piano dropping from the sexually suggestive phallus shaped building onto your stupid head. And also, I had to watch the fucking Angry Birds movie, which is just just a disgustingly right wing film. Just unbelievably repugnant and conservative in a way that sh was shocking to me. Um, and then on top of that, it is just exhausting to watch. It's... The Angry Birds movie is 
maybe the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it, it is, it is, it is truly despicable in every possible way. It isn't fucking funny. Uh, it's not entertaining. It's painful to sit through and it's ideology is fucking disgusting. And I just, Christ, man, it's, it's a fucking rough one. Tell me about the Angry Birds movie. Uh, Mark, can you give me a little, little background info? I feel like there's, there's a theme. There's kind of a loose theme of this podcast where, uh, maybe like a trope, uh, or like Alex will watch the movie first and she will say something complete, which sounds completely absurd. Um, to me, over text, like, uh, The Angry Birds is a anti-immigration propaganda film. <laughs> and and I will think to myself, there's no fucking way. <laughs> uh, so, like, last week it was, uh, and albeit I had already seen it, so I know this is true. Last week it was, uh, <laughs> Animal Crossing is a lesbian rom-com. And, and this week... She watches it, and she texts me, and she says, oh, this movie is just conservative propaganda, essentially. And I was like, there's no fucking way. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's, I'm, I'm not laughing because it's funny. It is genuinely distressful. Um, yeah, we have to laugh. That kids watch this movie. We have to laugh, otherwise we would cry. And I have already cried a lot today for other different reasons. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to cry about this. I'm just going to get pissed um, at the fact that, you know, Bill Hader voicing the leader of a caravan of insurgents looking to steal a generation of uh, what is a clear, obvious stand-in for uh, Europe's white children. Um, let's talk about the part where they drink piss. They, they fucking drink piss so they 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 climb the so the 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 hero's journey of this movie is they're trying to climb the mountain to rediscover you know the the heart of america the the golden eagle man and he's living up on a mountain apparently they found what they thought is like the 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 lake of wisdom which is rumored to be his new home and they swim around in it they they drink the water and then they like spit it into each other's mouths and swallow each other's spit. And then the great mighty Eagle appears in a cliff above the pool and just starts pissing. And this is a 30 to 45 second, you know, piss take. They show the piss and we explicitly, just, they sh- explicitly there. Is they piss. show the piss like it's yellow. They show the piss. Um, and then, you know, they, they show the characters, like, retching at the fact that they just drank, you know, pee water. Um, yeah. I don't have much to say about the the fact that they drink piss. Um, you except know, for I, I might have it. A... <laughs> no, if you have something to say, by all means. It, it, this was the point where I became completely fucking exhausted with this movie. Yeah. Um, I, I'll just say that I knew that, that I had heard beforehand... That there's an entire Twitter account and I think a podcast uh, called The Angry Birds Drink Piss in the Angry Birds Movie. And so it was a thing that I was aware of. Um, <laughs> but I didn't expect it to to be so explicit in this movie for children. Like, it's not, it's not like... Like, I thought it was going to be like, oh, there's a joke that implies that they drank piss. And then it's like, oh, haha, like... 
you know, and then it moves on. And if you got it, you got it. And otherwise you don't even know that they drank piss. They want you to be a hundred percent certain. They want you to walk away from this film with two ideas in your head. One is that we have to secure the fucking border. And two is that the angry birds drink piss. What are we watching this next week? Josh, <laughs> this isn't Josh Gad fucks Qbert, by the way. It's not implied sex. It is actual piss drinking. No. Um, no. Good, good question uh, <laughs> for what, what we are watching next week. Um, Girls and gays, we're about to talk about the most important part of this film. This was, you know, I said, I've, I've mentioned that there were multiple points in this film where I, like, slammed the pause button and had to, like, stand up and, like, kind of take, like, a, like, just pace my house for a little bit. Good lord. It wouldn't be an Assassin's Creed property without a, without an, an historical figure. I'm gonna set this up, because I need to set it up, and then you're gonna, and, 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 and then you're going to understand my pain. So, it's, it's, this, this happens in the last... 20 minutes of the film. Yep. And they're wrapping it up. Uh and and past Michael Fassbender has the MacGuffin, right? He's got the genetic code for free will, whatever the fuck that means. Um and there's a and then it and, and it like opens Zach up on a scene and he's he's like in he's in like the cargo hold of a boat, right? And he's talking to this dude who's like a ship captain, we, we assume, but we don't really know. And it's like, oh, who's that guy? And like all of the scientists are like typing really frantically. It's like, translate what he said. What, who is this? Who is he giving the MacGuffin to? And then there's a moment. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to take a drink there, for it. There, there's only one Spanish historical figure, as we all know. <laughs> where, where the lady scientist like basically looks at the camera. She might as well look at the camera and says, it's Christopher Columbus. So, <laughs> meaning, right, meaning that uh, past times Michael Fassbender, the ostensibly free will libertarian uh, assassin, has the genetic code, genetic code for free will. And he thinks to himself, hmm, <laughs> you know, who would be a good, oh, who, man. who'd be a good person to entrust this genetic code that will allow someone to subjugate people. I know. <laughs> Christopher Columbus. That dude seems pretty chill and pretty willing to let people live free lives. It's 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 so insulting. That dude it's, didn't subjugate a continent. It it's it's so fucking insulting for so many reasons. Cause like what cause like the scene that plays out is basically Christopher Columbus telling past Michael Fassbender, you know, I've always been loyal to the assassins. They've all, I've always been a friend of the assassins. Like my so, ass. So, right? so, so, so this guy, so, so one, okay. Point one, the movie is saying that the assassins who are the good guys in the movie, we would say they're the good guys. Mm -hmm. Um, they're not the, directly the fascists, um, are really tight with Christopher Columbus and that's cool. Right. Number two, they're basically just like, hey, remember Christopher Columbus from school? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what this is, right? That's how fucking stupid they think you are. Is that yeah, they assume that you still think that Christopher Columbus... They assume in 20 goddamn 16 that, like, they don't even call it Columbus Day in some parts of this country anymore. <laughs> Post-ironic, to me, means 
recognizing that we as people who were born and raised on the internet were just sort of raised in an extremely irony poisoned culture we were raised in a in a in a in a in a culture that where we use irony to deflect and to avoid looking stupid for unironically engaging with things um and so post irony to me basically means like recognizing that while irony is a useful tool uh for you know critiquing things and for dealing with the soul-crushing disparity that is living under late capitalism um but it's also about allowing ourselves to like things and recognize when we like things uh and be sincere about our like of those things such as detective pikachu <laughs> that was a that was a fucking segue and a half right there <laughs> Yeah. If you call um, it out, it disappears in a puff of smoke. It's like a Tony Hawk trick, dude. It doesn't bam. count now. <laughs> That's true. That's so, true. You're tell right. me about the Tekken Pikachu, Mark. Let's talk about let's talk about Ready Player One and bodies. So Artemis is the love interest character, and you know she's kind of this like hot shot. He literally says like, "I watch all of her Twitch streams." At one point. Um, and, you know, in the VR world, she's, like, this, like, kind of cyberpunk-looking chick with, like, tattoos and a fucking weird haircut and, like, you know, kind of, she's kind of crazy-looking. Um, and on their first date to this weird nightclub, um, he says, like, hey, we should meet up in real life at some sometime. Like, we should, we should get to know each other for real. And she says, like, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't like me in real life. Like, I'm, I don't look like this. I'm different. If you wouldn't, you wouldn't like me as much if you saw me in real life i'm not i'm not the same person um and so it's like okay they're introducing the concept of people can use this technology to be things that they cannot be because of their own physical limitations in reality or because of the limitations that uh, culture and like body policing and body shaming puts on them in reality or whatever it may be mm -hmm. um, or just or anything along like racial lines or absolutely. gender lines yeah yeah and 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 there's a scene where um and this is a character that we're going to get to but the the protagonist uh best friend h who uh you know basically says to him while he's like talking about uh you know how he's super into this girl like he says like dude she could be a dude which is of course like Oh, so gross. She could be a guy. That might be gay. Ugh. And then it's like, she could be a 300 pound dude who lives in her mom's basement and her name is Chuck. Right. And like, that's, and that, and, and, and it's gross. Like, it's gross when he says that, but I'm, I'm still kind of like, okay, like, where are they going to take this? Like what, right. what, what is it going to be about her that she is trying to hide or trying to escape from in reality yeah my, my thing when i heard that line was like yeah the way they said that was really lazy writing yeah but i'm willing to like look over it if the payoff is good right? yeah um and then he meets her in real life and she is a conventionally attractive skinny white girl with a minor birthmark over her face <laughs> that she could cover with her hair very easily i it's I, not even there it's I like, not even obvious i like you know i say a lot that i like slam the pause button when a crazy thing happened i literally like smashed my hand onto my keyboard when that happened and just like stood up and just took a walk around my house i was so fucking angry like it's 
It's such an unbelievable missed opportunity to say something fucking interesting, dude. Like, put, like, you could do something about ability and disability. Like, you could do something about mm -hmm. race. You could do mm -hmm. something about uh, weight, you know? Like, you could, there's all of these different axes around the ways that people's, people are unable to self-actualize in reality that this technology has now given them the ability to to do so and like this is why like cis straight people fucking suck at writing cyberpunk i was i just had a thought um remember how carmen and junie's grandpa is in a wheelchair and then he gets a cool robot mech suit spike hits three handles this spike <laughs> spike hits 3d handles transhumanism in a cyberpunk world <laughs> better than this fucking movie You're so and right. and that's gonna be it for this week what are you just kidding <laughs> no american media is obsessed with bloodlines yep right and like every fucking show every kid's show every kid's movie is about being the chosen one and it's always like something that was endowed from birth uh so when the fact that this was written like this it's not it's it's so par for the course in terms of like american kids shows uh because like star wars is like this fucking every everything is like this everything is about bloodlines it's like weird and creepy when it's pointed out to you yeah but you don't even think about it because it's so common well and it's like monarchy specifically right like it's like the fact that like we have like we're so fucking obsessed with princesses and kings and stories about heroic kings and and queens and monarchs that go and do shit and i think that is hilarious considering that we're this country that has this pretension to being a democracy, which is obviously, like, absurd. Um, but, you know, yeah. we have this, like, cultural pretension towards this idea that we're, like, you know, we give a lot of a shit about democracy and shit like that. Um, and all of our media is just about how cool royals are and how it's really dope to watch a king kick somebody in the teeth. Yeah, and our celebrity culture is the same thing. Like, it's so cool to watch this person who did nothing was born into greatness like and now he's like throwing the first pitch at a baseball game yeah or look at this rich like, person we, we love that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, look at this rich person okay this yacht that that just that bezos just bought is so big mm -hmm. it's awesome okay so i think we've officially given more political analysis to pac-man and the ghostly adventures <laughs> than it deserves so I, I would like to i would like to know broadly how did you feel about Scooby-Doo in the Cyber Chase? Um, so, so, <laughs> the, this was, the, I, I don't fucking know. I'm, I, this is, I'm trying to, I tried to write notes. I guess I'm just going to ramble. So, it, it, it doesn't, this show was, this one was written in 2001, right? Yes, like, yes. Why does the dialogue still feel like it was written in the 60s before <laughs> people knew how to write dialogue that was believable? <laughs> like, the, there had been 30 years worth of, like, good movies and good TV between this. Like, kids' mystery movies, literally, and that were, like, fun. Uh, this show was not a... This was not a mystery. Uh, the, the cyber guy talks about baseball every 14 words... <laughs> So you know that the bad guy is the baseball guy. <laughs> um, it's, it's, so brought so okay. And another thing, and you tell me if this is a. I guess we're gonna get into the zone of is this bad Scooby Doo or is Scooby Doo just bad? Okay. Because okay, 
Yeah, so that's what this episode is. <laughs> okay. Um. So the dialogue, I keep saying four years old, but like, honestly, every time something happens on the screen, <laughs> one of the characters repeats what just happened, even though I just fucking saw it happen. <laughs> so is this just weird 60s dialogue or is this this bad Scooby-Doo? Like the Cyberman's riding a T-Rex <laughs> and you see him ride a T-Rex for an introductory shot in the prehistoric zone for like... 12 seconds and then velma is the one who has glasses right that's yeah. her character yeah she's my let me favorite. describe velma's let me describe velma's character real quick <laughs> she's got glasses so um so she sees she sees the blue cyberman riding a dinosaur and we as the audience you know she she's she acts as the camera in this scene she's watching it and thereby we're watching it and she says the line he's riding a t-rex and this happens approximately 14 times in the movie, um, where we see something happen and a character just repeats what we just fucking saw happen. I need you to tell me, this is the first of many of many occurrences, I need you to tell me if this is just the way Scooby-Doo is, or if this is bad Scooby-Doo. Like what, so, okay, so earlier I described this as the episode where they commit a series of false flag attacks to stir up racial tensions. So, yeah, like, there is a group of people who is who are red, and there are a group of people who are blue. So the Koopalings disguise themselves as mushroom people and go into the village where the mushroom people are and commit crimes as either red or blue people in order to encourage more of that that racial animosity and then it even gets to the point where mario and luigi who are painted you know red and blue uh they're they're they start fighting each other because they're different colors uh and then they eventually stop fighting each other when they find out that the koopas were responsible for the paint which doesn't make any fucking sense to me at all because if they have the capacity to understand that they that they're being painted and that and that the that the racial tension is enti- is entirely fabricated, then why would they be fighting each other in the first place? Listen to me. I've got a lot of friends who are red, and I've got a lot of friends who are blue. I don't care if you're but... red or blue or black or white or purple. <laughs> let, let me tell you one thing. When those towers came down, it didn't matter if you were red or blue. <laughs> We were united. We were united that beautiful day God. against the, the Koopa menace. Captain Falcon like jumps out of his car. Black Shadow jumps out of his car, and his fucking helmet flies off. And he says Falcon Punch, and he punches him in the face, and his face like Black Shadow's face like explodes, and then like the whole thing blows up, and Captain Falcon fucking dies. He dies at the end of the show, and Rick Wheeler becomes the new captain falcon <laughs> yeah before he jumps out of his car to punch black shadow he says um only only one who has surpassed captain falcon can carry on the torch and become captain falcon <laughs> rick wheeler you're the new captain falcon and then he fucking j- and then and then he says i'm <laughs> he says i'm taking you to hell <laughs> Like, literally, he says, you're going to hell and I'm taking you with me to, yeah. to the bad guy, yeah. which is great and wouldn't have been in the dub if the dub made it this far. Nope. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, then he jumps out and punches his face into ashes <laughs> and they burn in the molten core of a nuclear reactor and they the crew finds his helmet embedded <laughs> in an asteroid later on. Yeah, so it's it's... 
it's interesting because I think in the context of just F-Zero GP Legend, the television show, this is not that wild, right? Like, Captain Falcon is sort of set up as, like, this sort of mysterious figure. He's running this bar under a pseudonym. He's got superpowers that are not very well explained. He's a sort of, like, mythical hero-type character. It makes sense for him to sacrifice himself to defeat the bad guy at the end. However... This is a TV show based on Nintendo property where they kill off the main character of that Nintendo property at the end. <laughs> Which is great. It's insane that Nintendo let them do that. Like, imagine if they made, like, a Mario show, and at the end of the <laughs> Mario show, they kill Mario off, and Toad has to become the new Mario. It's, it's really wild. It's you, so you, strange. You can even take, like, the other serious Nintendo property. Like, you can say, like, if there was a Metroid show, like, they wouldn't fucking kill Samus. No. Like, they wouldn't do that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the way that Captain Falcon is deployed in this show. It's, it's, it's shocking that they got away with this show. And Nintendo, <laughs> nobody from Nintendo was like, 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 there had to have been a meeting, right? This had to have been a conversation. There had to have been a group of people in a conference room, one being a representative from Nintendo and the rest being writers from F-Zero GP Legend. And the representative from Nintendo goes, so, so you guys are going to kill Captain Falcon in the last episode. And, and they're going to answer, oh, no, no, no. Captain <laughs> Falcon's just an idea. <laughs> Captain Falcon could never die. <laughs> the dream of Captain Falcon will live on long past when any of us have died. I think um, I think I'm, I think I'm going to let you take this one, Mark. Uh, can you tell me about a particular appearance in this film? This is really the last I, thing we're going to touch on. Here. Oh my god! <laughs> it, it's not. Uh, didn't I say like fuck Ernest Klein a lot in the in the Ready Player One in episode? The Ready Player One episode. You sure did. I sure did. It's you sure did. I didn't, uh, I don't. So, Ernest Klein. I don't want to, like, say that I hate him as a person. <laughs> I don't know the guy, right? Like, I, I'm not, like, a malicious person. You you know me. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> but It's true. He is nice. But everything that he has made that I've consumed, and every time I've heard him speak or seen him in an interview... He's the most insufferable human being that I've ever had the displeasure of seeing on a screen. I I hate him. I don't like so, him. I don't like him. He he why was he in this movie? He he took up so much of this movie that could have been so much of it. Could have been spent. So there's th this is hang on real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Ernest Klein is the author of the book Ready Player 1. A capitalist love letter to pop culture and excess, the film adaptation of which we watched for this podcast and severely hated. A, a vapid, <laughs> a truly vapid look at why people love pop culture that <laughs> seeks to answer the question by saying, oh, we love it because it's cool. Isn't this awesome? Look at Isn't that so profound. Look at the Iron Giant. It's so cool that he has guns on his arms. Look at the Iron Giant blow things up with his gun arms. Remember the Iron Giant, that anti-war movie? <laughs> Let's completely miss the point and exploit its image for nostalgia points. 
that's that's who he is. And the entire section of the movie <laughs> that includes him is just the nerd culture credential gatekeepy part of the movie that for some reason needed to be there. Um, he he is on a road trip to the dig site in his fucking DeLorean that he bought with his blood money. Um, and he, the fucking DeLorean is so much oh for me. Like, God. of course you own a fucking DeLorean. Just dude. his life is ready player one. Like, it's so funny that he felt the need to create a world that it's funny that he used his writing talent, which I'm sure he has, you know, he, <laughs> he wrote a novel that people love. Um, he used that ability to write a world where nerds go into a cyber world and fill it with all of their favorite pop culture shit. And with the money that he earned from that book and movie, he made his life <laughs> into the life of a character in that he has a DeLorean and he drives around with a life-size E.T. model in it. And he, he went to go get his DeLorean that George R.R. R. Martin was borrowing <laughs> for some event. And then he just like high fives and fist bumps George R.R. R. Martin and is like, hey, thanks, bro. And George Martin is like, oh, no problem, bro. Uh, have fun at the video game thing. And then he says the line, it's like I'm Indiana Jones going to Westeros to meet Doc Brown and save E.T. And I was like, shut the fuck up. You goddamn dork. I hate you. He is like, the whole thing of Ernest Clyde is driving a DeLorean to go to this landfill to see E.T. get dug up is like five to ten minutes of this hour-long film. Yeah. And it is it is a crime that, and like, literally, that any additional Howard Scott Warshaw interview content was left out of this film in order to include more Ernest Cline scenes. Notice that they gave him a camera, like a dashboard uh, camera, because they, they thought that, that he, there's like, oh, he's, he's so, like, cool and smart. He's bound to like say some cool shit on the drive up and instead it's like they needed to use this footage or else he would feel bad so they just included a montage of him just drumming along to to like van halen ass rock music uh on his steering wheel with his hands and his delorean on his delorean and him like making light vapid conversation to his et doll and, yeah. and it's like, well, that's clearly the best and only usable <laughs> footage they got of the Ernest Klein cam. Uh, I, I refuse Why? to believe their Klein cam. I, <laughs> we, we return now to the Klein cam. Um, I refuse to believe there wasn't better footage and more footage of Warshaw that they could have used to strengthen his story. Oh, uh, we watched that Sanic movie. We um, done did. It, it came out. Um. Much to the chagrin of the animation team that was uh, all fired. Yeah, real um, quick, like, before we even get into anything, up front, fuck the people who were in charge of this production. Fuck capitalism. Fuck uh, the fact that the people who worked their fucking asses off to completely fucking redo this film in a matter of, like, six to eight months all lost their fucking jobs. Uh, and so this thing is like an object of evil uh, at a base level, because it caused yes. significant amounts of human suffering, uh, but you know, yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard to it's hard to run that bit for thirty minutes. So we're gonna talk about the film as well. <laughs> yeah, we're 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 gonna take it as art. Um, <laughs> sure do. Uh, 
what one thing that that is related to this tangent is that when I was walking out of the theater, uh, there was this guy and his uh, and his uh, sister, I think. Um, and the the sister says to the guy, um, "Hey, uh, you know, uh, that was pretty good, and um, I like that." Uh, they worked out the animation stuff so that they'll be able to make the next one more quickly. Uh, so they won't have that whole like thing happen again. And I was like, no, they won't. God, that's so depressing. <laughs> there's there's going to be an entirely new team who has to figure out an entirely new uh, everything. They'll have the basic framework, but no one who worked on the animation for this movie is going to work on the animation for the second one. Uh, so so what? <laughs> that tell me a said, little bit about Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Um, so it was, uh, it came out on Valentine's day, which is great. A lot of people, uh, there's an Alpharad tweet. There was an uncomfortable <laughs> amount of people are going to get laid after watching Sonic, which is very true. Was true for me. Um, it's based <laughs> <God>. on <laughs> the video game franchise published by Sega. Um, it is directed by Jeff Fowler in his feature directorial debut, um, great job. I can't believe he single-handedly fixed the animation on this movie. God damn it. <laughs> um, uh, so the screenplay by Pat Casey and Josh Miller. It stars uh, Benny Schwa, Ben Schwartz, as the voice of the title character Sonic. Um, and uh, he's he's fine, but the real star of the show, of a completely different show, is uh, Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik. Um, and also some other people are in the movie. Um, yeah. None of those so, people are important enough to mention. Yeah. Uh, this movie has a plot, which is, yeah. um, it's which slightly is different. Yeah. Oh, then, then your, then your, your run of the mill Sonic plot. Yeah, it's true. Um, so, so Sonic is an alien in this or whatever. For some reason, it doesn't matter. He's fast. He talks too much. You've heard of him. It's Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, and, and then some bad guys show up on his, on his alien planet, uh, and, and they kill Sonic's owl mom. Sonic has an owl mom. We'll get to it. Uh, and he has to go, he has to go live on earth instead. So he doesn't get murdered by bad guys. Uh, and then Jim Carrey gets hired by the government to kill Sonic, I think. Uh, and so Sonic has to team up with a shitty cop. And then they go on a road trip to San Francisco so that Sonic can get his rings back so he can go home or whatever. Uh, and also they got to stop Jim Carrey. Yeah. So that's feel what happens yeah, in that's the what Sonic happens. movie. That is an accurate description. So how did, what broadly, Mark, how did you feel about the Sonic the Hedgehog? I briefly did want to uh, talk about the harrowing experience of trying to find this show online. <laughs> um, so I, I searched, you know, as you do, I searched, watch Beautiful Joe online free. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the words of power um, <laughs> that we all know. That's an incantation <laughs> that we were all taught yeah. in the fifth grade uh, <laughs> when we wanted to watch the South Park movie yeah. on our parents' computer. Um <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, so the, I, I first thought that it was on Crunchyroll cause there was a Crunchyroll link, fuck Crunchyroll for this forever, by the way, it was like, watch beautiful Joe on Crunchyroll. So I went through the whole arduous process of entering in my fucking credit card information to get a free trial of Crunchyroll. And then when I went to the series page, it was like episodes available zero, <laughs> Um, but there were like hundreds of comments because the show used to be on there apparently in like 2015. Uh, they should take down the series page, is my opinion. Yeah. So I don't have to go down this fucking rabbit hole. The uh, 
so where I ended up was what was it? An- An- it was kissanime.ru, <laughs> which I believe is like the Russian oh, man. Uh, <laughs> extension. <laughs> yeah, it was that was some scary shit, man. Uh, so I eventually found a Tumblr post from 2015 <laughs> in which somebody had made an archive of uh, where to find the beautiful Joe episodes. They were all on kissanime.ru. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the you had to go through 17 captchas to get there. Every episode, and each... every new episode that I watched, I had to go through a different captcha. <laughs> yeah, like a different kind of captcha. Yeah. <laughs> and um and once you make your way through those, uh you you have to, you know, defuse the bomb that is <laughs> clicking X in the correct places. Yeah. Um, and avoiding clicking on all of the numerous anime titties that are surrounding the viewing window where you're trying to watch yeah. the show. <laughs> but but by the end of this I'd somehow downloaded Raid Shadow Legends fourteen times. <laughs> uh my my computer is on fire like Homer Simpson's bowl of cereal. Um so anyway, the the show is bad <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, Viva Pinata <laughs> is a delight, a delightful game by Rare um, for the Xbox 360, in which you raise pinatas mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you feed them and you build a little farm. It's kind of like an Animal Crossing. It's like a life sim. It's cute. Um, the The show is bad, and yeah. I I briefly. We briefly discussed not even watching all the episodes that we were going to watch for, but journalistic integrity demanded yeah. that I watch all three fucking episodes. Whether or not they were on 2x speed on yeah. YouTube is another conversation. Listen, it doesn't matter if we the, make the dialogues for for yeah. the sake of our mental health on this podcast. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this show is from 2006. Mm-hmm. It was part of the Four Kids TV programming block, mm-hmm. um, which means it was bad. Uh, I looked up <laughs> on IMDb, um, and all of these shows had the same voice cast. Yeah. Like just so you know. Yeah, um, I noticed the, that while watching the show. <laughs> the the only voice cast of note was that the voice of that horse pinata I recognized, <laughs> and I was right because it's the voice of Mewtwo uh-huh. in. All of the Mewtwo appearances, yeah. and also the voice of sexy adult Yugi from yeah, it's Yu-Gi-Oh. Dan, it's Dan Green, right? That's Dan yeah, Green. There he is. We all heard of him. Anyway, listen. So it's a cartoon based on the, the video game Viva Pinata. You might have guessed. Um, the plot. So, um, <laughs> so they're so they're pinatas, right? Um, and they. And they eat, and they like eat candy all the time. Like they just eat all the time. Like that's what the show's about. Um, and if they eat too much candy, uh, then they are sent to their deaths. <laughs> so, so, and so, because so, they're pinatas, right? So if they're filled with candy, they get sent off to get beaten with <laughs> s- sticks, which doesn't feel appropriate this week. Um, now some of them mind you, have some sense of the gravity of the situation, right? Some of them don't. It's Some weird. of them don't, and maybe they are, like, horny for getting beaten? I don't know. It, um, the show seems to imply that that is the case. Right. Right. This is my only 25th birthday. This is the only 25th <laughs> birthday I'm ever going to have, and now forever for the rest of my life, when people are, oh, would you turn 25? What'd you do? Oh, I watched Gamer 2009. <laughs> Yeah, would would this have been better or worse? You think if um 
if the film's working title, Citizen Game, <laughs> had been the actual title. I... <laughs> We're... There is not going to be a single moment in this entire podcast where either of us is going to be able to say the title of this film without laughing. It is so fucking funny that this movie is called Gamer. (laughs) We talked about this a little bit last week, but it's just really funny because it's like, obviously in 2009, uh, like, the word Gamer did not have the connotations that it does now, you know? Gamergate hadn't happened yet. It hadn't become this weird internet identity thing that it is now, and now it's, like, a punchline. Uh, you know, back then, a gamer was just somebody that liked video games, or in the case of Gamer 2009, but Gamer is somebody who uh, kills other people in increasingly violent and upsetting <laughs> ways. Um, I don't know, how'd you feel about <laughs> What did we watch this week, so. Mark? <laughs> I guess, heads up, we're going to be talking about the AIDS crisis. Um, so, at one point in the in the RPG episode, they just wildly swing to the AIDS crisis. Like, all with no warning. Like, it is, it is fucking wild. Like, ten seconds ago, we were talking about Final Fantasy or some shit, and then now we are just seeing footage of homophobic politicians talking about how AIDS is killing the right people because of their sins. Um, so, Ryan Best is a game designer, and he's talking about how he is living in the Castro in the 70s. I guess I should explain. The Castro uh, was a was a, a gay mecca, kind of, in, in yeah. the 70s. Um, so much so that when I grew up in school in the 90s and 2000s, they were still talking about it as yeah. that bad place because I went to <laughs> private Christian schools. Man. Um, and and uh, Ryan Best uh, makes this game called Gay Blade, and it's like kind of this like it's like a joke kind of RPG that he like passes around to his friends and stuff. Um, and now it's sort of lost, right? Um, and and he's kind of like trying to get in touch with people, seeing if he can find someone who can uh, who can who can recover Gay Blade, and so that people can have this sort of this really cool cultural artifact back. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about how like you know. It, you know, it's this small little thing, but it was it was something that was uplifting to people during a very fucking scary time to be a queer person. All of this is run down in like three minutes with Charles Martinet still doing his cartoonish narration over the entire thing. At Do one you think point, they thought that any gay people would watch this. I can't, I, I can't imagine <laughs> that they did. No, <laughs> it's. At one point, Charles Martinet says, Gay Blade was a big, fabulous snub to the man, and I just wanted to fucking throw my computer into the fucking garbage. I was... And... <sighs> oh, man. Like, the, like... There's a... Y'all seen RuPaul's Drag Race? <laughs> <laughs> the, like... There's a there's a part like four minutes after because I, I swear they talk about this for three minutes and then they move on and then later yeah. there's a part where like Charles Martinet is talking about oh where did where did the Mortal Kombat guys get their inspiration for the the next big game and then the camera like pans to a church and he goes not there and then pans to another place and goes not there either and then it pans to a library and he goes yeah that's right and then he gets diegetically shushed by a librarian. In, in a sort of fourth wall breaking joke. I need you to understand I, that this happens. I love happens, a diegetic shushing. This, this happens like 
like two minutes after they're talking about the fucking AIDS crisis. And then... <laughs> oh, God. There's a point where it is straight up treated as a fucking joke. And I was like deeply offended like i i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna play i'm gonna play a clip here of charles martinet's narration so this is the this for context this is the point in the documentary where they're talking about how the game became lost um and pat the pat buchanan that he is talking about was an extremely uh homophobic advisor to president richard nixon and then charles martinet says this and then the craziest thing never happened Pat Buchanan heard about Gay Blade, got into his presidential tour bus, drove across country to San Francisco, stopped in the Castro to buy some souvenirs, then showed up at Ryan's door and stole the game, telling Ryan to pray the gay away as he left. But funnily enough, the game made Pat Buchanan realize that he was gay. And now he's living in Paris with his partner Francois and their two Bichons, Coco and Chanel. Actually, that didn't happen at all. The truth of how Ryan lost the game is far less colorful. So we are critiquing this, so fair use, fair use, fair use. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, what the fuck? What the f- What the f- What the fuck, man? Like, 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 fuck you. Like, fuck you. Like, fuck off. Yeah, like, it's, I like, uh, it's oh. not subversive to be like, what if the homophobes are secretly gay? Um, it, it doesn't take away their power, especially when straight people are doing it. This yeah. this just has big, like, oh, Trump is gay for Putin energy. Yeah. And, it and just, it's like, uh, oh, fuck. and he, now he lives in Paris with his two fluffy, floofy gay little poodles because he's a fucking queer. Like, fuck. Like, fuck off. Like, what the fuck is this? This came out last month. I know. <laughs> like, like that's what I say. Like, they don't think any gay people would watch this. Like, do, I, do they? I think the, whoever wrote this has no idea that like that like like trans women of color exist. Like, yeah, <laughs> dude, straight up, every single fucking uh, archival uh, clip in this section yeah. is a crowd of white people marching through a street. It's, it's white fucking, dudes. It's disgusting. white dudes marching through metropolitan areas in the mid '80s. It's like. They, they, this is the least intersectional piece of like <laughs> queer media analysis that I've ever seen. I it's, was <laughs> just, just, just so y'all are aware, none of you would have fucking anything if it wasn't for fucking black trans women. So write that right. down. I don't think most people who are into monster fucking are straight. Let's okay. I want to. <laughs> should... I actually. I want to talk about this. <laughs> In detail, because I have a pretty, I have a, I have a take about this. Um, yes. Okay, so let's talk about the Castlevania episode a little bit more. So oh, basically, yeah. he he has this episode where he said, uh, where he says that he's going to try to find Castlevania's hottest monster, and basically he's just like, I, I just think we should find other other mythical, cryptozoological, whatever creatures, uh, and besides vampires, and let them get a chance to be a little sexy, you know. Um, and so like. This is a very, very queer video, you know. He, he's like yep. most of the monsters he is ta- ta- he is talking about look like muscly dudes, and he is talking about the appeal of these muscly dudes. But there's another angle here, right? Because let's talk about the concept of quote unquote monster fucking, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mo- so if you're not aware of the term monster fucking, it is this concept that 
to me, I feel like as a term originated on Tumblr, but obviously as a concept has been around for a lot longer. And, you know, it is the idea of, you know, we find these mythical creatures sexy. We want, we think Mothman is hot, you know, and it's like kind of a bit, but it's also not a bit, right? And the the thing about monster fucking and, and the, the idea of monster fucker and all that stuff is that it's, it's not about monsters really right it's about loving and appreciating maligned bodies right um as a queer person you are told your entire life um that you're disgusting that you're a monster especially if you're trans fuck you know um you're you're told that your body is disgusting it is monstrous it is demonic it is satanic you know um and i'm reminded of like uh i, I was reading like a, a queer historical text where they were talking about um like trans radical flyers and newsletters and zines from around like the 70s and how a lot of those groups embraced the occult and embraced like aliens and uh you know embraced like demon iconography and and the explanation for that was basically well, if they're going to call us demons, then yeah, sure, we are demons. Fuck you, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And and so the Castlevania episode, besides, you know, just the fact that he is someone who probably identifies as a man or something close to it, uh, talking about, like, being attracted to other men, and that's, you know, queer on its face, it's also an episode about finding beauty and, uh, like, sexual desire in people, in bodies that we have been told by society are wrong right um and so like i think watching that episode again because we had talked last week like oh like how do you approach talking about bdg as a queer figure when he hasn't really been public about that it's like well watch the work the work has the queer themes you don't really need to you don't need to ask him because they're there <laughs> um and it's interesting because uh bdg like has now been like He's one of those dudes that that lesbians have claimed as a lesbian icon, um, which <laughs> might be a weird thing to to understand if you're not a lesbian. But this is like a pretty common thing where like men who are able to exhibit forms of soft and alternative masculinity um, are very appealing to lesbians and non-binary people uh, right. who kind of identify with, with lesbianism um, because large parts, that is large parts of what being a lesbian is about. Um, that mm -hmm. is a large part of what being butch uh, is about uh, is yeah. finding forms of non-toxic hardness, finding forms of non-threatening masculinity. So there's there's a frequently asked questions section of these YouTube uploads of the Parappa the Rapper anime from 2001. Mm -hmm. that, question, who was the original uploader of these episodes? Answer, the channel that I got these episodes from was named Parappa with Fries and it was recently taken down for an unknown reason. Question, did you get permission from the uploader? Answer, by the time I discovered that their channel was deleted, there's no way for me to get in contact with them so that I could ask for permission. <laughs> there are not only six questions and answers here about the the politics of the choice to it, it was like after much internal debate i decided that 
for, for an archival for an archival sake i had to upload these episodes there are there, these aren't even the full answers the, the, the part the, the part where the part where they're like it's like why did you re-upload these Be, and they're like because i believe that there is something more to this anime yeah, yeah that was yeah can you give me a, yeah. can you give me that direct quote please uh, why did you take the initiative to re-upload the an- th- these episodes? Answer: This anime is way more than it seems because <laughs> I took my because I myself took a part in the effort to recover these episodes. I feel that I have the duty to protect this anime from being lost again. <laughs> these are uploaded on a channel called <laughs> Defend PTR, <laughs> as in <laughs> Defend Parappa the Rapper, <laughs> like, <laughs> and I. T- Defend PTR. I've... Oh god, it's like a militia. <laughs> this is like defend pop punk, but for the parappa the rapper cartoon in which nothing happens and it's bad. Um, there's a there's a paste bin of the full length answers. Uh, the answer to who was the original uploader of these episodes is five paragraphs long. <laughs> I'm oh, gonna God. just I'm gonna read a random line. On August third, twenty thirteen, a YouTuber by the name of Blue Rush Sonic, in parentheses, now known as Assassin Hedgehog, close parentheses, whom whom I was collaborating with at the time, found episode three and uploaded it on his channel. He was intending to re How far down crying. does this go? This is oh, this is God. one of the greatest YouTube rabbit holes that I've ever discovered, and I cannot wait. <laughs> To to figure out all of the good and bad actors involved in Defend PTR. And honestly, um, I would like to join them in their fight. Um, I I think that PTR needs to be defended against, uh, against dishonest actors who would have the truth of this show silenced. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Hey, girls and gays. Um... I didn't, I didn't really take any notes here. I'm just kind of kind of go off the cuff with it. Um, you know, when I, when I think about how important podcasts have been for my life, um, you know, when I think about the number of times that I have, like, binged a podcast for an entire day because I'm fucking depressed and it's the only thing uh that I can focus on or times where I was having a panic attack alone and the only thing I could do was put on some familiar voices from a podcast that I like you know um I think going into making Cartridge Cinema Club I was like that was like the dream you know it was just like you know because it's not about making money obviously it was never about making money we're never gonna make any money off of this stupid podcast we lose money on this podcast every week um and you know it was never about the podcast being successful or popular it was just like if we can do that for other people that would mean the world to me, you know? Um, and so, you know, if you've <laughs> depression binged this podcast over the course of a week, I look at the SoundCloud stats. I see when y'all do that. I can, you know, I see it and I'm just like, yep, me too. <laughs> I've 
<laughs> I've fucking been there. Um, you know, it, it really means a lot. Um, so if you, if you listened to this, uh, extra long, uh, highlight reel episode to the end and you're listening to this now, thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you for caring about this podcast. Um, thank you for, thank you for picking up what we're putting down, man. I don't know. Like it's, it's such a niche thing, you know, the like leftist video game thing, um, because, <laughs> you know gaming is kind of a shit show politically and 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 i i know that like that audience for like the socialist video game movie podcast is such a narrow thing but i also know that every single one of you when you found out that there was the social video game, socialist video game movie podcast you were like yes that is exactly what i want to listen to um and I love that. I don't know. I think it's I think it's cool. I think it's cool as hell, man. Um yeah, I don't know. Mark said a bunch of really nice things about me. Um so I think I should say some nice things about him. I Mark is like such a rock, man. Mark has been so like I I just I I don't I don't know who I would be as a person if Mark was not in my life. We have like we have we have built on each other. We have we have become better people through our friendship and through this podcast and through just knowing each other and and learning from talking to each other and yeah i i, I love i love mark a lot um and i'm really grateful that that people tune in every week to listen to to us talk about some dumb bullshit um it's yeah it really means a lot, man. Thanks for listening. That's it.